Welcome to the show. And today I've got a very exciting guest, Andre Pina, the very creative distiller at Pina and Son. Andre and his father Skalk own the little distillery which is now at Maker's Landing on the VNA waterfront. My name is Holger Meyer and this is Drinks World. Welcome to the show. And today my guest is Andre Pina from Cape Town. Welcome to the show, Andre. Hey, Olga, thanks so much for having me. It's great. Andre, let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? Um, I was born in Joburg, uh, moved down to uh, to um, Wellington, which is a small town about an hour outside of Cape Town when I was about seven. And then, yeah, I've been here in kind of the Western Cape for uh, ever since then, uh, which was... Um, like 1995, basically. Yeah, and Wellington is in the heart of of everything that's that's alcohol related. I guess it's it's kind of, the, I mean, the Borland and there's a lot of things happening. I think only in recent yeah. years, kind of Joburg has caught up a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Like, if I look at it now in like retrospect, it's really interesting. It's obviously like. Um, kind of like a significant wine region, but then when I when I think about um, this Sedgwick distillery that is there doing all the three ships and the Baines, mm. and then um, actually we stayed on a small holding that was two like two properties down from Roger Jorgensen where he oh. was doing all of his stuff. Okay, yeah, um, so it's actually kind of kind of weird how, how it all panned out <laughs> yeah i spoke to roger about a month ago um we did a little interview with him in kenya oh amazing yeah so that's quite interesting to listen to his story because i went to visit him many many years ago probably the first distillery that i that Ooh. i ever visited maybe besides Helmut yeah. Older. um yeah it's kind of He's definitely one of those like unsung heroes that like the general public don't know about. Yeah. Like so many of those early like early distillers and and gin brands. Like when you speak to them, you're like, oh, how'd you get started? And a lot of them always have a story like, yeah, we went out to Roger <laughs> and asked him some questions, and he helped us with this and that. Like he's definitely <laughs> a part of a lot of people's stories that I don't think people know about yeah you probably had your own roger Jorgensen in your life even though you lived just down the road from him who influenced <laughs> you what i assume it was your dad um, yeah it's 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 kind of funny I, I i think my dad was the was was the final push in terms of me deciding to open the distillery in terms of like it would be stupid not to try i mean he's been developing distilling equipment for the last 40 plus years um and um so it was one of those uh, when i kind of bought a still and started playing around just for fun and um i've just got like a big love for for like food and flavor and i kind of just happened to have a um a biochemistry and chemistry degree so and I was playing around with stuff and kind of going, oh, this is actually really fun. And it's kind of ticking all of those like hemispheres of my brain. And then it was my dad. Is, oh, it was that final piece of the puzzle. Like, oh, and my dad builds equipment for a living. 
this would be stupid not to try. <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing. Do we want to punt your father a little bit? Tell us a little bit about the business that he does. Is it only big distilleries or does he do small ones as well? Um, no. I mean, they're kind of always open to um, to doing anything. Uh, he runs a company called Logichem. Uh, they still operate out of Wellington. And, um, yeah, they do everything from, I mean, they built my setup. Um, he also actually helped out um, uh, Jean-Baptiste from Geometric Gin with some equipment. Um, but they also built a lot of the equipment at Sedgwick. They do a lot of the alkalization equipment now, which has actually become their main main thing um, in Australia and Europe and the States. They're doing a lot of um, de-alk technology. They've got a little brand called Go Low. Um, and it's basically doing a lot of work out in, um, out in the States and Australia and Spain. And Is that de-alkalization for wine or for spirits generally? Uh, wine and beer. Okay. Uh, um, yeah. So it's um, it's kind of replacing a lot of the current technology, like the spinning cone. Uh, it's actually able to capture a lot of flavor that sits in the volatile kind of um, uh, portion of the um, of the wine or the beer. Um, that kind of all of the all of the ex- Existing technology just can't can't get that and take away the alcohol because they sit in a very kind of similar space on the spectrum. Okay, that's interesting. It would be nice to talk to him. Andre, when I first met you, you were in Ruland Street. And uh, for us, Ruland is obviously home to Ruland Liquors. And that was one of the pioneers in, in the whole craft movement. Tell us a little bit about that place and uh, maybe where you've moved to now. Uh, yeah, so um, when I kind of started the distillery, um, I don't know why I just didn't want to be uh, like I guess it's I guess it's selfish, but I didn't want to get some little like industrial space like out in out in like um, Maitland or Mowbray or something and have to sit in traffic every day to go to my cold distillery. So I was looking for something. <laughs> like in the middle of town. Um, and to be honest, um, Ruland Street, um, the, uh, the space we found was actually like the only, the only place that almost a landlord was, wasn't petrified to have, you know, someone bringing in a, a, a spill and making 96% alcohol <laughs> in a, in a pressurized vessel and, like kind of once you start speaking to landlords about what you're going to do, um, they get very kind of scared, um, <laughs> not knowing what their insurance is going to cover. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, I managed to find a landlord that thought it was like really like cool to have this like young guy trying to make kind of whiskey and gin, um, next door. Um, so we were there for, from 2015 to 2020 and yeah, it was a small little space that, I basically got to learn and try and do everything that I do. Um, and then recently we've moved to a space um, in 
in basically the Cape Town foreshore. So just next to the waterfront, um, it's called Maker's Landing. And um, it's a building that we share with uh, kind of like like-minded food entrepreneurs. So there's everything here from a butchery to a bakery to, um, a, to like a cake store. Um, and... Yeah, the space is a little bit bigger, so we get to kind of just do a little bit more. Uh, but we've got the like the really nice aspect now is that we actually have a dedicated tasting room with the retail space. We can actually like host people and really tell our story and let people uh, taste and see, and um, it's been really great. And that's where that um, Master Chef is, or is it next to it? Yeah, they shot it here. They, I mean, they like actually took over the whole space, and um, they kind of inconvenienced a lot of us, <laughs> <laughs> to <Okay>. be honest. <laughs> but um, but yeah, hopefully it hopefully it gave gave the building some publicity that that we'll continue to see in the future. <laughs> yeah. But what's really nice about the Max Landing, they've got a um, a food or uh, they've got like a kitchen um, incubator here mm. and the idea here is that um, or like the best way I describe it is is like food is one of those things that there's like a giant gap between making 50 cupcakes in your oven at home and then when you have to make 500 cupcakes you can't just like buy a bunch of ovens so you have to get like an industrial oven that then it's not like it costs you maybe like 20,000 rand for that oven that that oven's going to cost you maybe like one to two million rand mm. and um, the jump as a small business to 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 go there is is quite large so um, the cool idea with the kitchen incubator is it's like a full-on big professional kitchen with everything from the massive ovens to blast chillers to all this like amazing equipment and you can just rent it per hour okay. per day so you can kind of come in here and say i'm going to make my thousand cupcakes but i'm just going to rent everything i need for one day one and then you can go sell them at your market or online or whatever your whatever your vibe is okay and then there's obviously a market and that gives you creates that destination where people can then also visit you yeah exactly so um like the whole concept here was was it's kind of established pre-covid and um you know, they were looking at doing like a Wednesday night market and a Saturday day market and having thousands of people here every day. Um, and it's also where the cruise ships um, kind of drop off passengers and take on new passengers. Um, but then obviously COVID just threw a wrench and everything. And first of all, we couldn't have that many people in the space. Now that we can, it's obviously really difficult. Um, so yeah, I think... I think a lot of Makers Landing is still trying to figure out who we are post-pandemic, which I guess is a lot of people around the world. Mm. Um, but yeah, at the moment, at the moment, it's very nice. There's a lot of a lot of food vendors here, and on the weekends, um, families come through. And in the kitchen incubator, there's like um, classes for the kids to kind of learn how to how to bake cookies, and there's nice coffee and parents come and have a gin tasting here at me yeah it's just really nice vibe yeah Cape Town's really good at creating those destinations hey 
Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. Andre, let's talk a little bit about the business. Um, when when you launched, you had uh, the the Empire Gin, the Orient Gin, and and the vodka. I think came a little bit later, and that was really at the time when when the gin revolution was taking place. Um, was the launch of your business in any way related to the gin revolution, or was it happening anyway? Um, yeah, I think. I mean, yeah, I do think that that the gin revolution was one of those one of those juggernauts that no one was going to stop or almost um, influence single-handedly. Mm. Um, but yeah, we, I remember when I was postulating the stuff um, around 2014, 2015, um, not a lot of people were speaking about gin. I went up to Joburg to the Elite guys to do a little bit of like a fermentation course just to kind of brush up on some of the stuff that I had read, um, just trying to gain as much as much um, insight as possible. And everyone that I spoke to there, like no one was talking about gin. And mm. I was surprised. Like everyone was there because they wanted to either do like potato vodka or some fruit brandy. And I was the only one there who was interested in gin. But then, yeah, fast forward two years later, we launched. And I think when we launched, um, I think we were about like the ninth uh, gin brand in South Africa then. Mm. Um, I remember we launched like a week before Six Dogs. But it was basically at the time, I think it was Inverash, um, Jorgensen's, Musgrave, uh, I think New Harbor had just launched as well. And then like a slew of them kind of just came out. And we, yeah, I think we were like ninth or tenth. And then I mean, I I don't really keep track of the stats, but someone told me, I think it was two years later, that the count was like 295. And I was mm. just like, no. Oh. No, it's a million. Yeah, for <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah, we, I was certainly keeping track at the time. I was helping my a friend of mine with his, with his tops at Hillcrest, and we had um, done a beer uh, destination store inside the tops where... I think at the peak we had 500 different beers and then I discovered the gin and I said, okay, let's let's do, start doing the gin. And a lot of people tell me that we were the first to order their gins as they were launching and it was very exciting times. It, it, I really enjoyed that and I spent a lot of time in the yeah, retail trade and, uh, and I met a lot of people named Pino because they all came to buy your gin. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, yeah. I never thought about that until after we launched. I was like, oh, we've like, we actually should have like a guaranteed portion <laughs> of the public. So, yeah, I want, I want a photo of you and uh, the Springbok rugby captain. <laughs> okay, one day I'll get it. <laughs> yeah, so my, my mechanic is a Pinar, my, my GP is a Pinar. There's a lot of Pinars, even in yeah. Durban. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I start to see it now with our with our um, online store because obviously, as you look through uh, through the orders, you check people's names, and yeah, there's quite a few pinars that that pop up. <laughs> yeah, so you're building, you're rebuilding the family tribe. Basically, yeah. <laughs> At the time, I was quite um, critical of you using that name because obviously it's a family name and it's Afrikaans, and I thought it's it, it doesn't mm. really belong on a gin brand. 
But in hindsight, I think you you did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, no, I think it was. Um, I think it was actually like a bit of a cop out at the end of the day. I was like, I think I went through like six months of trying to figure out like what do we call this thing and like what is what is best going to represent the way I feel about it. And oh, I went through so many things, and it was kind of just like almost one of those like let's just call it what it is like it's me and my dad trying to set up a distillery mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> let's just let's just, just try and not be pretentious and clever about it and just call it what it is yeah. <laughs> yeah. and uh, a lot of people commented that they liked the product itself so the content i got to taste a lot of gins over the years but for me it was always more about the packaging the presentation the marketing rather than the product i don't i don't pretend to have a very developed palate um but i think you tick both both boxes thanks yeah i think um i think like i said in the beginning with um i realized that it does stimulate both hemispheres of my brain like i love the creative angle both on both on like a, like an actual flavor side um but also on a like on a branding side mm. Um, like I love the nerdy aspect of it. Like I love getting into the nitty gritty of trying to, trying to almost like unlock a key. It's, it's like I have this flavor profile in my head and then you just have to like try and figure out how to like put that into a glass. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoy both equally. Um, but, but it's always been a big thing of mine that you, it's a pointless exercise if at the end of the day, the liquid inside isn't great. Yeah. What's that old kind of saying? Like it's easy to sell one bottle of it, but to sell two becomes difficult. So yeah, for me, it's always um, like it has to come down to the liquid. Yeah. I think everything else gets gets the liquid into the glass, and hopefully someone gets to taste it. But if it doesn't taste great, no matter how cool that bottle is or that brand is, it's you just you're just never going to survive. It just won't work. Yeah, somebody said to me the other day that um, all these gin, these new gin craft gin distillers or creators um, have all only sold one bottle of gin to a whole lot of people, and now five years later they have to yeah. start selling their second bottle to that same person because they've run out of uh, i guess early adopters um and exactly. that has been the difficult part for them how how is your business going is it is it is it sustainable like look i, I definitely think 2018 and 2019 were 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 really difficult years for us actually because um like we say you know you go from like engine brands to to like i don't know like 300 plus mm. and it just becomes uh like it becomes unsustainable from that aspect um and with that many brands out the general public can't taste them all and then buy them according to quality so they are buying them according to the branding and the price and all of those other aspects we had been trying at that stage to kind of go that go that general that general um route where where you make the bottles here and you hopefully get them into a, a checkers and a pick and pay and a liquor city and you basically wholesale. Like that's, mm. that, that seemed to be the dream because that meant volume and volume meant a busy distillery, which meant you made money, I guess. Um, 
And yeah, slowly just started realizing that like, it's not actually not the way, or it's definitely not the way for me. Mm. So the pandemic just slowed everything down, trying to trying to figure out like how to keep things afloat. I don't know if it was that or or not, but we kind of like emerged through that with me just kind of saying like, screw the big retailers. Like I'm kind of done just letting go of so much margin to this distributor who just drops the bottle here. And then anyway, you deal with all these problems of stock going missing and and like why not just sell straight to the consumer so we've definitely diverted a lot of our attention just to online and growing our own audience that know us trust us mm. um and it's like it's definitely more work but um it is very sustainable if you can grow that audience and just like it almost becomes um, a weird thing of um it's in the new world so i've never met most of our customers but there's a feeling like we are kind of the butchery just down the road and you know you can trust that guy and you go and you ask him to cut your chops. Like there's a sense of when we launch something new, I feel like a lot of our customers trust that it'll be good. They don't need to come and taste it because yeah. they've had previous stuff of ours and they kind of say, if we're putting it out, it's good. Yeah, that's very exciting here. When I started in the liquor industry, you could count the number of merchants on one hand, never mind the producers. And now imagine every single guy who's managed to get a, a liquor license is now struggling to sell his gin. So he's starting selling to sell other things and all this stuff is ending up in a shelf mm. in a liquor city somewhere on the tops. And it's just a massive bun fight because there are just so many people coming up with new products. Yeah, no, it's it's kind of crazy. And it's it's um, I've kind of always said, if you are a liquor city and you do want to stock my stuff, like awesome, send me a mail and I'll mm. like, we'll send you some stuff. But that kind of um, that negotiation stance immediately changes. So it's like really nice now for me like we just released our whiskey and I, and I'm getting requests from stores mm. to please stock. Yeah. And I'm now in the position where I'm like, um, it's doing really well right here. Like, I guess I can give you like two cases. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the discussion isn't about payment terms and rebates and this, this and that. They all of a sudden like, please just keep three cases aside for us. I'll pay you now. Yeah. And like all of a sudden that whole transaction changes. And I, I feel like that's the kind of conversation I want to have. Like, I, I don't want to sit there going, please take my stuff. But if you like what we do and your customers keep asking about it, then pick up the phone and let's chat. Yeah. Well, and I think that's exactly what I've been trying to achieve. So I want to curate the list of, of these retailers that appreciate products like yours mm. and, you know, share share your story and share the experience with them. And I don't know how many retailers are out there that that are like that, but there's, there certainly are some and they don't always have the, the, the ability to, to find you. For sure, yeah. I think I've always... Um felt like the buyers of the retail stores like if you ask me super naively like what is their job i would guess that they have to spot products that they think have promise and that should be based on obviously kind of the way it looks and the way it tastes and just i would almost imagine that that person is good at their job because they can spot a good product when they see it yeah but that's not what that's not what happens it's if you go in and you're like this is my product exactly what you're saying they're like 
cool, but what's your marketing budget for us over the next 12 months? Yeah. Uh, like that has nothing to do with the bottle that's on the table. It's kind of like, will you advertise in our Christmas um, <laughs> catalog? And it's like, it's super cheap. It'll only cost you like 25,000 Rand, but you have to run a special on like 50% off. And it's like, okay, cool. So I need to sell like, 5,000 bottles just like break even on this campaign. It's, it's, it's quite funny. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of more just like if we spent that 20,000 Rand on, on like um, online ads, I would actually like make money. Yeah. Um, so why exactly am I stocking your store and paying you money to market my bottle with another 700? I think I've just discovered a like-minded supplier because that's really what happens <laughs> out there. <laughs> no, it's it's... That's crazy. It's it's interesting, and I, I call the buyers the sales prevention department. You know, they <laughs> the less they have on their shelves, the better, and you know, preferably just just uh, Savannah yeah. and Castle Light. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. It's really funny. It's but it's nice that like say now I am getting some emails. Like um, I got an email last week from someone saying, "Hey, two separate clients walked in this morning and um, asked about tiny batch whiskey." So. I'm saying, can I have stock? Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, sure. Awesome. Yeah. Send me your um, invoice details and I'll send you stock. Like it should be that easy. Yeah. But it's never that easy. Yeah. And it's it my my kind of philosophy on like a lot of the business side of stuff is like business should be easy. And if it's not, then I'm kind of not interested. I mean, so many people will want to buy stock from me, but then they want me, they'll say, Yeah, but you have to send us like um, certified copies of this and this and this and this and this. And I'm like, it's going to take me half the day to do. Like, do you want the stock or not? And then it's, yeah, but we have to do it. And then I say, okay, but then I'm not going to send the stock. And then they go, okay, we'll let it slide. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just ridiculous. Mm. But um, yeah, like, just make it easy. It should be simple. There's a supply and like a demand. Yeah. I like I like the way you think. <laughs> Tell me about the the tiny batch whiskey. It certainly looks exciting. Yeah, thanks. Um, so it's it's been part of the plan since since day one. It's kind of the reason why we made the vodka 100 uh, percent corn based. Like the vodka was almost the first target to hit in terms of like making sure we understand our fermentation and our distillation and everything because. When you're making like a new make whiskey spirit, it's a very subjective target to try and hit. Um, whereas the vodka is kind of a lot easier to to see if you're doing something wrong. Um, so yeah, the whiskey's always been on the cards. Basically, like early 2018, finally I I decided to stop doing experiments and asking all these academic questions and just said just get liquid into a barrel like just make the best liquid you can find the best barrels you can and it should be good <laughs> um so that was my that was my kind of theory going into it and um yeah we finally released the whiskey now um spent about four years in barrel um and the idea is basically to release a barrel at a time. Um, we only manage to barrel about 10 to 12 barrels per year. Um, that's just our capacity. Mm -hmm. So the idea is not to like blend anything. Um, so we will release, we will release a batch and it, I call it tiny batch because it's literally just one, <laughs> one 
apparel. Um, I think the word, you know, small batch is thrown around very loosely nowadays. And um, I remember looking at uh, the World Whiskey Awards, like criteria for some stuff. And I think to call something small batch for them, it had to be less than 100 casks. So I'm like, cool, that's 20,000 liters of whiskey um, at like cask strength. So I was like, that doesn't sound like a small batch to me. Um, so it's kind of just trying to um, trying to illustrate kind of how small and how special the stuff is that we make. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we've got a medium char. Um, so basically we just have two, two different style b- barrels. The one is like a kind of a medium to light charred barrel. The other one is like a heavy char barrel. Uh, they're both, uh, virgin American oak. So both of them have a slightly sweeter, almost like American style to them. We basically get about uh, 500 odd bottles out of a barrel. Okay, so it is tiny, eh? Yeah, <laughs> it is pretty small. Um, so we, yeah, we released finally the first the first two barrels that we did back in 2018. And yeah, it's been going super, super well. Mm. So you didn't need your father's connections at Bain's Distillery to get some whiskey and you actually made your own. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's one of those things that, um, I was, I was hoping and I guess it's, it's naive having seen what happened in the gin scene, but I was hoping that, you know, I'm not the only one making um, whiskey. And I I thought, well, like maybe in five years, we'll actually have this really nice South African craft whiskey scene Mm. and it'll be, and it'll be guys that really have their heart in it. And they've like, you know, really been painstakingly putting barrels away for years. And then, like I said, just naively forgetting that people with a lot of money can also just buy whiskey and put it in a bottle and brand it with whatever they want as, you know, South African Feinbos whiskey, mm. blah, 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 blah. I, I don't know. Um, so I do think a lot of that is going to start, start, start happening. Mm. Um, but... But for us, yeah, I'd rather I'd rather make like something that is going to taste very different to all of those guys and put a stake in the ground and go, I think this is really, really good stuff and we are going to position it as such. Yeah. Yeah. I, I certainly have found a number of whiskey producers around the country. Um, I made a list for a guy that was opening a retail store in Joburg and I said, here's a list of all the South African guys that make whiskey and please go and support them. And I didn't get a very positive response from him. But uh, I think the guy that's been at it the longest is probably Moritz from Dryman's Brewery. He, he's he been distilling for a very long time. and um, Yeah, I've never tasted his stuff. I'm, I'm very intrigued. And there's a there's a guy, Squinspray Distillers in the northwest, who who's got a massive barrel house of of whiskey. His his father started in the 90s, and again, I, I didn't get to taste it, but I got a very nice photo of 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 me and him in the barrel room. So there is some stuff happening, <laughs> and uh, besides, obviously, the big big uh, producers. So yeah, I'm very excited uh, um, about this and. Then, then your little adventure buddy. What is that? Yeah. So basically, I love Negroni. It's like it's a classic 
It's a classic uh, gin-based Italian cocktail. And um, kind of wanted to release something that was more on the ready-to-drink kind of side of things. And I saw always, you know, people were doing pre-made cocktails, but in large bottles. I think the idea of a pre-made cocktail is the convenience of the pre-made cocktail. But if someone doesn't know about it and they get the bottle, then they still ask the question, you know, how, how much of this am I supposed to pour in a glass and what am I supposed to do? Um, these little adventure buddies are like a like a pre-made um, Negroni, but it's the like exact quantity you need. You basically just open the pouch, you pour it out over some um, over some ice, um, add a little like citrus um, wedge, and you're good, and you go. Um, so yeah, I'm looking to expand the range um, a little bit now. Um, I'm hoping to release. Um, release um, an espresso martini version of it um, and we'll kind of see how that goes. I've been running some trials on it for the last like four months. Um, but yeah, it's they're kind of just fun little little things. Um, I'm not I'm not sure how retail ready they are. Um, we've been asked a lot about them. But at the moment, I'm kind of happy just to have them on our online store and in our tasting room. Mm. Because, um, uh, yeah, you know, with retail, all the stuff comes along and everything needs to be barcoded and boxed and packaged appropriately and just becomes intense. Yeah. And it, and uh, I think the best thing about them is it's a perfect match for, for every new dad who's buying these um, ready-to-eat little... <laughs> <laughs> baby meals at, at Woolies or wherever you buy those things. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think that that was actually like exactly where I got the <laughs> idea from for the little pouches. Cause, um, yeah, I, I became a dad, uh, two years ago and, um, I, like I was buying the little pouches, but this was at the time that I was trying to figure out how to, how to do the single, um, Negroni. And at first I wanted to can them, but the smallest can we can get in South Africa, as far as I know, is the 200 mil mm. slim can. But that would be basically almost three kind of portions of the Negroni. And it would just put the price point at like 70, 80, 90 kind of rand. Yeah. Like, no one is going to buy a 200 mil can for 90 no. bucks. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Um, and then I came across the pouches. Yeah. Oh, wonderful! I love I love that sort of innovation. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fun. It it was really nice about having also like the tasting room and the online store. Like before, if you had an idea, you would need to make it kind of retail ready and appropriate, and it had to then, you know, you had to exactly like saying like go out, speak to buyers, try and get people to list it. Whereas now I can like just make 50 or a hundred units of something. Yeah. And it's like, whether we do it again or whether it um, morphs into like a retail brand is, is like, is one thing. I mean, like last Christmas we released um, a vodka that we fat washed with Kahaman fat. Um, and we released it as like the perfect, Bloody Mary gammon <laughs> vodka, and it's like it's 
it's just a fun thing to do and I don't have to go and check and make sure all of our warning labels are correct. Like we just sell it here in the store. Yeah. It sells out like in a week or two and it's done and it's fun, you know. Not everything has to be this crazy calculated thing. Yeah. Can you share with us some of the the retail outlets that you like working with? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I um, I don't know a lot others in the rest of the country, but I mean, here in Cape Town, mm. um, obviously, um, Ruland Liquors and Woodstock Liquors, um, um, there's the barkeeper who've always supported us really well. Um, I do know that the liquor city in Bayer have been buying a lot of our ugly gin over the last last year and um, we supply them directly um there's that craft cartel up in joburg um and then um i th- i would say like norman goodfellas is the closest to like a big you know retail kind of um store that actually is kind of easier to work with mm. um they kind of you can it, you kind of feel like you're speaking to a person, not a not a corporation, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> so um, they've kind of always supported us quite well. Um, understandably, um, they also got so saturated with gin that it was kind of hard to hard to have any discussions with them around any new gin mm. products. But the moment now we um, we released the whiskey, they've been They've been really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think kind of um, a lot of these guys are also doing a lot of online stuff. Yeah. And it feels like it feels like the online world is very much driven by like new things. Yeah. So everyone wants, wants to be one of the first to release something new. Um, so a lot of the, it feels like a lot of the relationships have changed so that, so that, you know, some of these guys really want to want to be first on your mind when you're releasing something new t- to chat t- to them, um, so that they can push it out through their channels quickly. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, when I was uh, working with uh, with Hillcrest Tops, um, it was twofold. Obviously, you wanted the new stuff, but you also wanted to create new content. So, <laughs> if you spoke, yeah. If you you know if you just if you received a new gin you could talk about it on on social media and um, I guess yeah. I guess that was exciting yeah thanks for sharing yeah, for that sure. no it's- and your your online sales is that is that working for you is it is it lo- yeah and is it local or is it uh, across the country um so yeah it's it's kind of across the country um, a lot of the stuff uh, um, a lot of the stock goes uh, goes to Gauteng, but actually, like all over the show nowadays, um, and yeah, it works. Um, I think we definitely have have to now become that that vehicle of like, what is the new fun thing we're doing mm. in the next month, and then we need to create content for it to be able to tell the story and to sell it basically. Um, but 
yeah, I, I think we're slowly starting to figure it out, like in terms of, um, and, and it's actually like a perfect marriage because I've realized if I'm not doing new fun, creative stuff, then I think I actually get very stagnant and like everything starts to feel like work. Mm. Um, so, so it's almost good because it forces me to be innovative and creative and I kind of enjoy it. It's the same as kind of forcing yourself to leave the door and go for a run. And then halfway through the run, you're like, Oh, this is actually quite nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, so it's kind of one of those, um, that we do a lot of the online stuff now and, and when we get it right, like when the product is good and the content is good and we manage to get it kind of in people's faces in the right way, like it does really well. Um, we did that, we did that limited edition, uh, burnt orange and sage version of our ugly gin last year. Okay. And we sold about, about a thousand bottles in like a week and a half. Um, which for us is like, is like a lot of bottles yeah. <laughs> for anybody. <laughs> um, yeah. And I mean, like, of course there's Facebook ad kind of costs and all that, but we're still making like the full retail sale. Yeah. Um, so when you compare the kind of cost of the ads to the costs that you would have to have paid for d d distribution and, and um, rebates and trading terms. Um, and then you get paid now, not 60 days after statement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it really like helps, helps with cash flow as well. And then all of, all of that wholesale stuff is not going away. So that kind of chains in the background as well. Yeah. Okay. And are there any supplies that you, that you recommend that you work with? We have spoken about Logichem. Yeah, so basically all of our equipment has been designed by my dad and built locally for us mm. to specifications. So we haven't brought in anything from overseas or bought anything spec. It's all kind of actually made by hand here in the Western Cape. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, we um, I work with um, Bruni or um, Urban. They, they do all of our glass. I think we're lucky enough that, that that our numbers are small enough that we haven't gotten completely screwed by by all of these, you know, like shipping shortages and okay. delays. Mm. But they've they've treated us well. I have done an interview with Andre Barnard from Berlin Packaging. So if listeners want to oh, cool. find out more about him, I work with a bunch of other people down here. Um, for different stuff. It's just I've like figured out who's good at what. So <laughs> when we need something like fast, I'll call these people. Okay. When we need something cheap, I'll go to these people. When we need something <laughs> of like beautiful quality, I'll go to those yeah. people. Fitch and Leeds is kind of our like official um, mixer here at Chasing Room. They've been like really supportive and really great okay. helping us out. Um, kind of launching the Chasing Room and and kind of providing support where we need it. Mm. And the best place for people to find you is on your website, I guess. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a single mm -hmm. sun. So it's in our and sun.co.za. Um, 
everything's on there. Um, and then, yeah, I kind of always encourage people to sign up to the mailing list. Like, I promise we are not going to mail you once a week with some <laughs> boring, like, hey, happy gin day. Um, it's basically there just to actually, like, let you know about, like, cool new stuff that's coming out. So, so it's like if you like what we do and you want early access, like, there's some things, like, say, that we'll only do yeah. 200 bottles of, and those sell out in, like, three or four days. So the mailing list always gets kind of 24 hour preferential, um, 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 access to any new releases and stuff like that. Um, so I kind of always just tell people join the mailing list and follow us on Instagram and you should, you should know about everything. Yeah, that's, that's very clever. Well done. Yeah. Andre, that was a really good conversation. I think you crystallized a lot of things that, uh, are in my head about uh, retailers and brands working together and uh, yeah it was a very very nice conversation nice catching up with you again and all the best in the in the new location and in the post-covid world hopefully hopefully that's uh, <laughs> where we find ourselves at the moment no for sure man thanks thanks so much um i really appreciate chatting to you um you're also one of the very early supporters of us back in the day so i really appreciate it thank you for listening to our stories here online in the show notes you will also find a link where you can subscribe to become part of our community and be notified when we upload our latest content